This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for April 5, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Our guest today is Pamela Fralick. She is President of Innovative Medicines Canada in Ottawa. She will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your podcast co-host, Mitch Shannon, up here in our historic podcast gondola with a panoramic view of all the March Madness taking place below. Let's welcome back to the gondola someone who's often described as a sight for sore eyes, James Shea, General Manager of the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, you've just returned from vacation, and here you are, crawling back to the gondola, ready to resume where you left off. Yeah, well, you know, I survived a 60-degree centigrade temperature transition, and I have rebooted Rimshot there. And a quick clarification, I do have a question. Is March Madness, is that curling championships, or is it roll up the rim to win? I'm not sure. It is not the Bonspiel. Okay. All right. And we are joined once again by Mark McElwain, the pharmaceutical industry consultant and life sciences expert. So, Marcus, we're seeing the traditional sign of changing seasons, daylight saving time, warmer temperatures, and the migratory return of Jim Shea. How do things look in Leaside? Spring. You know, while Jim was away, there were three or four big dumps of snow I had to shovel. Now I've got a cold. You know, spring would be nice, but it's still a rumor. Those colds, yeah, don't like to hear about illness on this podcast. So it's great to have the band back together. We are your podcast hosts, known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the better brand names have already been trademarked, such as Silicon Valley Bank and Car Gurus. So let's say hello to our guest, Pamela Freilich, President of Innovative Medicines Canada in Ottawa. Hi there, Pamela. Well, hello. How are you? Oh, not bad. Not bad. Getting by. I'm aware that today is the Ides of March. As we like to say, it's countdown to St. Patrick's Day, so 48 hours to go. But let's talk about you, Pamela. You're now in your seventh year as president of Innovative Medicines Canada. I guess we've all seen and heard all the various myths and misconceptions about the drug industry, you know, in headlines and very likely in conversations with friends and family. When you became president of IMC back in those distant days of 2016, what was eye-opening to you? Yeah, what a question. So I have to cite the complexity of this industry. It was really eye-opening. I, you know, I don't think it's understood by very many people, and I count myself as one of those. I'm still learning every day. So that was a huge eye-opener. And the obvious one that I've really been exposed to of late, that big pharma, and when I say that, it's in a bit of air quotes and quoting what others say, but it's an easy target. So when I see reputable people and organizations taking shots without recrimination, 
without doing their due diligence, not taking time to find a more balanced and nuanced approach or just take on the issues, the pervasive and passionate feelings against the industry. It was really quite shocking to me. I think I'd been warned a little bit, but I had experience working with industry. I'd never experienced it quite that way. So that was pretty shocking. I would add, though, positively, that those in industry, as I got to know them, and I saw the pride and the passion that they have in the work that they do that rubbed off very, very quickly with me if it needed to. Everyone's always looking for that next transformative, life-saving breakthrough. The excitement about innovation really drives everyone who works in this industry and what it can do for Canadians. So it was a balancing act, I would say, but those are two things I would name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Jim here. Certainly when you have the Big Bang Theory reruns with Penny out there as the successful drug rep, you know, I just shake my head and want to scream at the TV every day. So, you know, we've got these little things happening, but there's also some big systemic challenges that we're facing here in the healthcare ecosystem in Canada. And how's IMC working to address some of these bigger things right now, the bigger challenges? Well, I'm tempted to say, what are you talking about, Jim? What are those big challenges? But let me answer that question first, and then I'll maybe make a few comments from IMC perspective. And I am, you know, I wear a pretty big health hat because of my background, which goes far back beyond working with the industry. And first of all, to note, we don't have a health system, right? We have 14 health systems. We have 15 or 16, if you count all the federal pieces separately, because they're all quite different. So it's really difficult to work with all those systems. Our international people come here and they discover it's like working with 10 different countries or 11 or 12. We're always looking for that common ground across those systems, but at the same time recognizing that there are some differences from one part of the country to the other. There might be different populations, an aging population, indigenous population, perhaps there are specific diseases more prevalent in one part of the country that need different responses. So I think that that is a real challenge in addressing the health systems problems, the system itself. And I would cite a second piece before I go to what IMC is doing about this, and that is the focus on cost and sustainability. And I get that. I've worked in government. I have great respect for people who do and that burden of trying to manage with never sufficient funds. But you lose the sense of value, and not just in our industry, but right across the board. Of course, we know that there's some immediate and longer term value associated with what this industry can do and others that tends to get lost in the debates sometimes. So that makes it really, really challenging to work within uh, the Canadian system. I mean, from our part at IMC, we work with all government. Our hand is always open and to shape and be in partnership, whether federally, provincially, municipally. I'm really on the lookout for different pathways to enhance communication between industry and government, because that's really been at a low, low bar, I would say, in the last many years. It's gotten so much better in the pandemic. I want to build on that. We've offered to work with governments on data issues, which are of concern. We've produced a white paper on innovative funding models that could be helpful to sustainability. Governments talk a lot about appropriate use of medicines. We see that as a solution to sustainability in many cases, if you get the right treatments in place, then you keep people out of hospitals, keep them in their home, etc. So that's a, a little bit of a picture, I guess, of how we're trying to address this as an industry. Yeah, certainly. I'm acutely aware of all the work that your staff is doing. And I joke with you sometimes saying that you're the busiest person in pharma. You're here, there and everywhere all the time trying to juggle so much. So, and I think it's amazing. And certainly one very positive thing that came out of a negative situation with the pandemic 
all parties of public, private, everybody getting together to deal with this crisis. Now, what role do you think that pharma companies are going to play right now and ongoingly, if you want to call it that, to combat future health crises and emergencies? Yeah. I mean, the simple answer is we want to continue to be a partner. I love drawing attention to the UK model, their life sciences strategy. The word that I love the most is co-develop. That's how they've developed their approach to challenges and to advancing the life sciences as an economic driver. So we want to continue to be a partner. We want to support any of the efforts that are going into building on health system resiliency. Are we ready for the next pandemic? Have we learned the lessons? Dare I talk about a next pandemic, even as we're still emerging from the last one? So really to keep pushing for cohesive efforts on developing the life sciences sector, we're really talking about that a lot. Federally, all the provinces seem to be committing to their strategy. So we're hoping that there's some consistency, some alignment, and we don't end up with a patchwork quilt of approaches. And maybe as a specific example, Jim, are you aware of the Health Research Foundation, which is a separately incorporated body, but heavily supported by industry? And early in the pandemic, we created a chair in pandemic preparedness out at UBC, Dr. Srinivas Murthy. There are a number of other issues, support for a virtual care model as well. So these are just some of the many, many ways that I think the companies and the industry is going to continue to work on helping Canada prepare for whatever comes next. That's one thing I see you know, partnership and sometimes leadership that's needed, right? So yeah, I congratulate you on that. Absolutely essential. Pamela, it's Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi. (laughs) I wonder if you could speak to the importance of collaboration and partnership between pharma companies and with other stakeholders in the healthcare system, such as patients and healthcare professionals. I've got a really short answer to you on that one. I mean, it's just the most important element, really, for optimal patient outcomes, which is a bit of a cliched phrase, I guess, but you have to have all the stakeholders in the mix. I mean, that's true in any world, any sector, any issue. You miss a part or a player, and your outcomes are going to be flawed or at least lessened than when you've got everyone around the table. You know, it shouldn't be a question. It should be an understood. So how does the IMC balance these two goals? the need for innovation in drug development on the one hand, and then the concerns about drug coverage and access to medicines for all Canadians? I would say that, I mean, our focus is on access, right? We don't discount, obviously, the concerns around sustainability, et cetera, et cetera. But we think that access should be common ground for all stakeholders, whether governments, patient groups, ourselves, and industry. We talk a lot these days about availability and time to patient. How do we get the drugs, the innovative products into the country? First of all, how do we attract the global decision makers to launch their products here? And once they get here, how do we get them to the patients as quickly as possible? I also believe that our members are really committed to having reasonable negotiations with governments and with the agencies that oversee this industry. I mentioned already this white paper we produced on innovative funding models. We think there are good examples, experiences to learn from other countries that we may not cut and paste into Canada, but they will help with the sustainability issue and really focus on access for patients. We have a new paper coming up, which should be released soon on managed entry models as well for consideration here in Canada. And just try to bring that balance to discussion. As I've already mentioned, it's not just about the cost, it's about the value. Look at certain products that may be expensive up front, but if they keep people out of hospitals, no surgeries, no 
organ transplant, something you have seen. These are the things that we have to keep those in mind during all of our conversations. You're listening to Pamela Freilich, president of Innovative Medicines Canada here on the NPC podcast. So IMC, you know, when I think of IMC, I remember the title of a book that was popular a little while back, Team of Rivals. I'd say there's some very intense corporate rivalries among IMC member organizations, putting it mildly. How does IMC keep everyone playing together more or less nicely? What's the common ground, if you will, that balances your members' interests? Well, I assume you're talking about companies when you say organizations, first off, just to make sure we've got that (laughs) clear. (laughs) Private sector, for-profit companies. It's companies, absolutely, yeah. I mean, first of all, with the association, we don't get involved in commercial matters. That's usually the source of what you might be referring to as intense corporate rivalries. So with the association, what we're really doing is looking for those common issues around which we can develop some strategic approaches. So we're checking in with members constantly. We have strategic plans that we update on a regular basis, make sure that we're timely, that we're topical. It's not difficult to find those issues, by the way, of common interest. Dare I mention PMPRB, there's HTA, there's PCPA, uh, AMR, we don't hear as much about, but it's another one that's emerging. And I am fortunate to work with a group of, frankly, brilliant CEOs, Canadian-based, international. They are collaborative. They respect ethical and legal boundaries. They have a great sense of working together for Canadians. They're the first to remind everyone, if we go a little bit sideways, that this is all about patient outcomes, guided by ethical business practices. As you know, we have a code of conduct. There's corporate social responsibility. We talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion. But ultimately, I would say that common, that unifying ground, it's their absolute commitment to patients and health outcomes. And that allows us to have some interesting and challenging at times, but very fruitful conversations. Pamela, it's Mark again. I wonder if you could tell us about any upcoming initiatives or projects that IMC is working on you'd like to highlight and what impact you hope they'd have on the healthcare system in Canada. Yeah, impact, impact, impact. I mean, it is about access. I feel a little bit like a broken record on that word, but maybe to expand on my earlier comment about availability and time to patient. We were looking at some recent data by IQVIA, 10 years worth of launches of innovative products globally, and they identified 460 of them, and only 18% have made it to Canada, Canadian plans, 44% if you include private. I should have mentioned that earlier but still fewer than 50% even come here. And then when they get here, it's that all those steps that we need to go through, there is a bit of dead air in some of those steps. And I know agencies involved are aware of this as well. We're trying to work together to address some of these, but 732 days is too long for patients to wait for these innovative products. We're also putting a big push on DRD, drugs for rare diseases. We're waiting with bated breath for government to reveal to us its strategy, and we hope it will be a strong one. We think perhaps at the end of March this year. And I mentioned the innovative funding models. We're constantly bringing those up and seeing where there might be an appetite to look at different ways of funding, managed entry models, et cetera. So these are some of the things that we're hoping will really affect the way the business runs, the way the systems run in Canada to the betterment for, uh, for patients. Great answer and certainly very interesting. And I guess we'll lead into the next question is a little preamble. I joined the industry back in the late 80s, where certainly there were a lot less types of pressures and it was the place to be. It was considered, you know, the best industry to get involved in. And there are people out there now that still believe it is. And then there's others that are a little bit reticent. 
what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's interested in pursuing a career in the pharma industry at this point? Well, I hate quoting Nike, but just do it comes to mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's a decent quote. What the heck? (laughs) Yeah, I don't like supporting other corporates' interests and industries and that. Look, it's not easy. And you folks all have so much more experience than I do in this world, but it's not easy to be in a love-to-hate-you industry. And that's where we are. Recent events, current events, the love for the industry through the pandemic of, dare I say, saving the world, along with our partners, of course, has faded fairly quickly. It's quick to go to the wayside. So it's not easy to work here. However, it's probably one of the most exciting sectors to be in right now. You think of precision medicines, real world evidence, RWE diagnostics, targeted therapies coming out, data initiatives, AI, artificial intelligence. And we need people, right? These are highly valued jobs. They're well-paid. They're exciting. We're very under-resourced in that area. And the technology, the science is advancing so quickly that we're going to continually need people who are upskilling and developing those talents that we need more and more. So it's a bit of a yin and a yang, I guess. Very, very exciting. And you just really have to believe and have passion that innovation is the way of the future for us and for healthcare. Yeah, certainly it's a smart industry. A lot of smart people here. You're one of them. You know, you have a whole basket full of education leading up to your master's degree in public administration amongst other designations that you hold. But I also believe in conversation that you were born in Germany in an armed forces family. You speak German. You were and maybe still are a ballet dancer. You know, lots of discipline there. How has your education and your life experience actually affected the course of your career to this point? Because you've already mentioned you're not a farmer person. You've got a lot of other stuff that you're bringing to the table right now. Well, I'm a proud farmer person now, so (laughs) let's accept that. Just if I might do one tiny little correction, because otherwise my Nova Scotia colleagues will be after this. (laughs) Uh Oh, yeah, and they're tough. (laughs) Born and bred in Nova Scotia. Yeah, very proud of my Nova Scotia roots and still have a little cabin down there off the grid. No electricity or running water or all those creature comforts, but my happy place. But I did live in Germany for many, many years. I worked for the Canadian Forces, ran an addictions facility, and has quite a background in the mental health world, which maybe leads into my answer to your actual question. And that is education and the MPA, I think, is what people notice, a master in public administration. And I think that was really important. If you're working in the policy field, we're trying to influence policy. So really understanding the underpinnings of the theory around how policy is developed, how governments work, I think that was really critical. And I'd been doing policy work for quite a few years before I went back. I did the MPA. So that was really helpful. And it teaches you how to get to the point in one page or less. My staff, if they happen to listen to this, will be rolling their eyes at me just now because I'm constantly pushing back. One page, one page. You can put attachments if you want. We need one page. But I would say that a couple of psychology degrees, I'm a researcher by training, I earned those prior to the MPA. And Probably that and my clinical work served me better, even better than the MPA, working with these multi-stakeholder groups, trying to find common ground across very disparate players and competitors. That's excellent. (laughs) I'm not sure the ballet helps at all, but being able to turn on the spot and keep focus in the front probably has something of benefit. 
Well, I'd say, well, when I dance in front of an audience, it's much less elegant for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly when you pirouette, Jim. Yes, absolutely. We'll test that next time we see you. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. So as we're winding down the podcast, clearly, Pamela, we're going to invite you to play our word association game. So it's not one page here. It's one word. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words. So are you ready? I am. Can I have two words, maybe? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'll keep it brief, though. I have been taught well. (laughs) We're very flexible. I can't dance, but I'm flexible. How's that? (laughs) Short phrase. Okay. First word. Innovation. Exciting. Next frontier. Research. Credibility and excellence. Patient safety. Oh, foundational. Leadership. Servant. Lead from behind. We can explore that later if you want to. (laughs) That's good. I get it. Collaboration. Richer outcomes. And healthcare marketing. Reality. Companies are businesses. They have a commercial framework. They have a code of ethics. It's a reality. That's music to many people who listen to this podcast. Okay. Absolutely. And in the background, we've been giving points. And I think uh, we go to that Googleplex of points, gentlemen. That's enough points, you think? I couldn't see that. (laughs) Where's your transparency? Well, that's it. We didn't want to change anything or create a slant, you know, going for the crazy stuff. Super. And again, we're going to go for the future now. I'm going to ask you to put on your soothsayer's hat, maybe a fascinator, you know, in preparation for the coronation, or maybe even a CSA-approved hockey helmet with the final run to the playoffs here, and enter what we call a prognostication corner, where we spell corner with a K because, you know, K for king, because I just saw the Elvis movie and I do recommend it to everybody. So what bold predictions can you make about the life science industry during the upcoming 12 or 24 months, or even further, if you've donned a particularly well-tuned headgear, you know, what can you tell us about what's going to happen in the future? Well, one should never make predictions and certainly not in a recording because you're bound to be proven wrong at some point. Jim, as soon as you said the word soothsayer, I, and I know listeners won't see this, but I don't have a crystal ball, but I have a crystal sea urchin, which is by the way, Nova Scotia crystal. So I'm just checking in with it as I reflect on your question. But we will not be underwater, correct? (laughs) We will not be underwater. Well, my property might be actually, but uh, (laughs) I really am an optimist and I choose to believe that the life sciences sector, speaking broadly, because I think that's what your question was about, it's going to grow in importance. I don't think that people have quite left the scars of the pandemic behind, which can be good to feed into this industry, into life sciences. It's a a de memoir and we're not done yet. The federal government, I believe, truly is committed to rebuilding, certainly on the infrastructure side, and I believe beyond that, and doing so across departments, which is something we've pushed for so long, so not in a silo, just with ICED, just with health, et cetera. They're working together. We know the provinces are committing to life sciences strategies. Quebec, of course, on 2.0, Ontario is, is launched. Um, BC is about to, Manitoba. Alberta I was out there last week. I think that they're on the cusp as well if they get reelected the Atlantic provinces, there's just too much innovation happening in Canada to allow it to shrink. So we need to make headway in a number of areas. We talk about wet labs, we talk about human resources, people, agile regulation, there are things that we need to work on. 
And on pharma specifically, as I've been saying all along, we need to you know, work away at helping people see the value, not just the cost, the longer term value in what we do. But maybe to sum it up, I'll say I'm pretty confident that uh, change and challenge will be our constant companion as we go forward. Well, I'll tell you what, with an oceanography background, your sea urchin crystal, I hope it comes true because that's an excellent one. <laughs> nice section there. So says Admiral Jim. Yes. Pamela, thanks for making some time to spend with us today. We typically try to avoid cliches on this show, especially that awful one about living in interesting times. But I can't imagine times ever having been more interesting than the last seven years that you've been with IMC. So thank you for being there to navigate these challenging times. And thanks for dropping by today. Thank you so much for the invitation and the chance for a casual yet important conversation. Greatly appreciated. And I'll look forward to more. Take care to everyone. Yeah, thanks so much. And to all of you in podcast land, thank you for listening. We will speak to you again next week. If you've got questions for Pamela, just send an email to health at chronicle.org. We always invite your comments about today's conversation. And if you attach your question as a voice clip, you might just become part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it and make a point of sharing it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or, to keep things simple, just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music or TuneIn Radio. We get along with pretty much everyone. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner, Check them out at www.impress.com. I'm your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser and Jeremy's capable helpers, Amy Elder and Spencer Eng. Research for this program came from John Evans. The musical theme is performed with soul-stirring intensity by the NPC Podcast Orchestra under the direction of Maestro Malachi Melbrook. We'll speak again next week.